The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Squatbox, and these are your headlines. U.S. and Asian equities fall ahead of today's big inflation numbers stateside, while consumer prices rise at their fastest rate in two years. Micron hits Wall Street sentiment after the chipmaker issues weaker than expected guidance, and the CEO tells CNBC there are ongoing supply chain issues. We are seeing due to macroeconomic headwinds, as well as, you know, in certain market segments, customers not being able to secure constraint components, non-memory components, that's impacting inventory adjustments. Elon Musk sells another round of Tesla shares worth almost $7 billion as he prepares for the possibility that he'll be forced to buy Twitter. The UK government prepares for possible power blackouts this winter, with officials drawing up worst-case scenario plans in the event that energy supplies are squeezed even further in coming months. So Chinese consumer inflation rose to the uh, highest level in two years in July, up 2.7% uh, on the year. A lot of this seems to have been related to pork prices. By contrast, producer prices eased to a 17-month low, defying cost pressures elsewhere around the world. Let's get to Sam for more on this story. And obviously, Sam, the headline figure here grabbed a lot of people's attention can it just be explained away by this spike in pork prices? Good morning to you, Jeff. Well, I mean, we saw both the producer and the consumer prices not coming in as hot as the market actually expected. They came in both lower than forecasts. And really, that is why we have seen the mainland markets, uh, you know, falling off the back of this, uh, given the uncertainties around the economy uh, at the moment. What we have seen is the CPI and the PPI actually closing the gap now. Uh, I'll start with those consumer prices because you talked about the pork, of course, that makes up for a large chunk of that CPI basket. As you say, uh, the fastest pace we've seen in around two years. This was largely uh, due to those food prices, most notably pork, that jumped around 20%, and that was down uh, to production capacity cuts, but also uh, rising demand as we've seen these COVID curbs starting to ease, but it also was a result of the fuel prices because what we actually saw was China's state plan are actually cutting the retail prices of some of that fuel throughout the month of July to reflect those global prices because, of course, we did see things like Brent, uh, Brent crude oil falling around 9% month and month in July. So really what we've seen is a bit of a shift from what has been over the last year or so, this kind of pork drag fuel pool thing going on and that seems to be going uh, the other way now but while we have seen certainly inflation building around these sort of more volatile areas the food and the fuel not so much building at the core because that actually stayed relatively soft at 0.8 percent and so uh, that was actually a 14 month low so really that came amid these prolonged COVID restrictions that we have seen that has been denting a lot of that uh, consumer confidence and what we've seen uh, is a bit of an uneven recovery you could say 
more demand for things like goods rather than services. But uh, all in all, uh, we have seen that the consumer prices uh, are still within the government's range and, and that should give the policymakers uh, more wiggle room, certainly to be uh, more accommodative moving forward. Karen, back to you. Sam, thank you very much for kicking off our coverage on inflation today as investors also now are going to be looking for signs of a potential peak in U.S. inflation today when the latest U.S. consumer price numbers are released. According to Dow Jones forecasts, July CPI is expected to show an annual rise of 8.7%. That would be down from June's figure of 9.1%. A cooling off could hint towards how aggressively the Federal Reserve hikes rates at its September meeting. U.S. majors closed in the red on Tuesday. But better than expected corporate earnings and robust labour market growth have eased fears of an imminent recession. I just want to come back to that headline figure. I don't think it was all about the headline last time around as it crossed as well because the market also fixated on the, the core level. And what we saw was a slight easing off there. I mean, prices going from 6 to 5.9% on the core rate. I think this mm. time around there are concerns that the core could go back up. We could see a level of 6.1% from the 5.9%. So I think the market also looking at that broadening out element when it comes to price pressures. Um, I think uh, the plan for this morning with all the markets related guests we get is to try to get them to explain to us why the long end of the curve has come down so much the or, or the belly of the curve if you like the 10 year the fives to tens because we've had this both with the US Treasury market and the Bund market this dramatic decline in yields and it doesn't quite stack up with the headline inflation story. And it doesn't quite stack up with what's happening with equity markets. So I think we need to have a, a, a good investigation today of exactly how the markets are going to react on this inflation print from the states. Maybe get some speculative ideas on that. But also to talk about exactly why we've had this decline in yields. Because it doesn't seem to match up with the rest of the market story. Let's, uh, let's talk about uh, Wienerberger this morning. We've got some uh, numbers out from the business. So let me just uh, give you these numbers and then we'll get directly to the CEO. Um, strong numbers for the half year period. The group says it expects further growth in the second half of the year due to uh, both innovation and system solutions. The uh, um, first half revenue growth up 38% to 2.5 billion euros here. Operating EBITDA guidance for 2022 of euro 900 million. And the group is looking at an operating EBITDA up 79% to 545 million euros. Um, straight out to uh, Jaimo then, who joins us now, the CEO of Wienerberger. Jaimo, great to have you with us on the programme once again this morning. Um, obviously, these, these numbers look strong. Um, talk to us a little bit about the momentum that you see running through into the second half of the year. First of all, good morning, a wonderful good morning, and thanks for having me. And uh, again, I think uh, the momentum that we see in our markets, meaning construction markets, new build, renovation, 
and also the infrastructure has been a generally solid, stable market environment in the first half of the year, with slight tendencies of decline between 2 and 5% in the new residential housing market in certain markets, because you have to keep in mind that interest rates have been sharply up in Central Eastern Europe, outside the Eurozone, nearly up to 10% in countries like Poland, the Czech Republic, and Hungary. So this is the general environment. In renovation, and in infrastructure, good spending trends, because obviously, you know, the climate targets have to be achieved by countries and they're pushing uh, people to renovate their houses and in the infrastructure spending, water is a big issue. And therefore, here, I think we are well positioned at Wienerberger to take advantage of this sort of spending from the public institutions. When we move a little further to the, to the year, I think... Uh, Obviously, the overall instability of financial markets, one side, politics on the other side, the overall sentiment is uh, a little bit uh, more, I would say, to, uh, to the way that the markets will, in the new residential housing side, decline a little further to up to 5% for the whole year. And Wienerberger, however, and this is, I think, the, the strong story from us, we are gaining momentum. Momentum because we focused, as you know, uh, very much on sustainability, on long-term solutions, on climate-friendly solutions, and for people on solutions that improve their housing. And here, again, I think our products, the highly innovative ones, and the system solutions gain momentum. System is especially important because we have a general lack of skilled labor throughout all of our markets. And so I think we are ideally positioned also in a, in a potential downturn to take advantage of this momentum. Yeah, let, let me just ask you in, in a bit more detail where you think we are in the trajectory of that downturn. For, for very boring DIY reasons, I've spent some of the week visiting builders merchants here in the UK and I can't remember seeing them as quiet as they are at the moment. What do you think is happening right now in the construction market in Europe? Right now, obviously, you see there's always the same situation. Uh, the The public sentiment is currently a little bit uh, changing. And the, if you were to uh, to ask people to, uh, six, seven months ago, everybody was enthusiastic, a lot of projects, and there still are, by the way. That's the major difference to the crisis that we had in the past. So the underlying demand meaning projects, the need for new housing, the need for renovation and infrastructure is there. However, the change of sentiment is there because there's so much negative news. Negative news about political instability, financial markets are negative. Obviously, the inflation has uh, has a major uh, um, also importance and the rising one and, and also the interest rates. However, and this is, I think, which will ch- will be a major factor of, with compared with other crises, that we have a strong demand, a bent-up demand in the markets. So I think this will generally move away when we have a better visibility, when the war goes away, for example, when on the inflation side we have a little bit of easing up, and you see tendencies like this. So I would say temporarily less, yes, there will be a little bit of a hit, but generally speaking, I remain positive for the years to come. Hi, I want to ask you a little bit more about inflation as you bring it up. But we've got uh, industry figures suggesting that inflation across the construction segment is running at about 23%. What do you see in your business? Any sign that the weaker commodity prices that have impacted factory gate prices in China today are now starting to impact pricing in your industry? 
Well, I think when I look at Wienerberger from a supply chain perspective, we're a little different to other companies because we are not so dependent on international supply chains. However, also we have seen, <clears throat> I apologize, a 16%, uh, roughly 16% inflation increase. So I think uh, obviously it hit us also, but we are generally a company that first of all buys forward. We are a reliable partner for, for clients and customers throughout our markets. So I think from our perspective, it's manageable. We will see a second wave of inflationary cost increases. This is more to do with wages because obviously here, I think people will need also an increase and we will have to grant them this because otherwise it's very difficult. And if energy bills for everybody goes up, I think we need to do and work on wages as well. So this will uh, also, uh, we will be confronted with this inflationary increases in the later part of this year and especially in 2003. So I, what I'm trying to say, we are not over yet and think this is a, a thing that we will have to deal with for the next uh, 12 to 24 months. But on generally speaking, I think from a pricing perspective, we can get these price increases through. We have done so. And I think it's generally acceptable also in the markets. However, on a general perspective, we need to keep an eye on affordability of housing throughout Europe, especially because obviously it has got, gone up dramatically over the year, over the last two years. Can we just explore that a little bit further? I think it's fascinating as you talk about the transition in inflation from the commodity side, uh, the very intense and material side, to the wages side now and whether you can pass that on. Where is the natural point of resistance in the marketplace where clients and customers just say, I simply cannot afford to pay for, for those products at that price? I think the, the this is not yet uh, with the case. First of all, secondly, I don't think we are reaching it. I think for them to be able to plan in the construction sector is very important. Today we have pro uh, problems with people, architects, planners, professional investors, and project developers because they cannot plan. Uh, uh, prices change daily in certain materials, and this uh, availability is not there. So I think this is the major uh, issue. From Wienerberger's perspective, we have always tried and try even now to give them a good lead time, three to six months when we talk about pricing. So they can actually plan with our pricing and put it in their project. Very difficult for them today to plan a long-term project. That's why you will see that certain projects will get delayed, uh, especially when you talk about project development and professional ones, uh, not the one and two family houses, but these ones, the big ones, because people can cannot calculate and have not the, the availability of labor and of materials right now. Yeah, that's a terrific point, I think, about the availability of materials. Just on the um, cyclical nature of the way the market views your stock, I mean, it's been a pretty uh, difficult year to date for any investor in Wienerberger. You think you're resilient against any downturn at this point, but the market doesn't seem to agree with that. Haimo, how do you demonstrate investors should keep the faith? Just showing them that the margin continues to evolve or that you can continue to hold uh, top line growth? What do you think the best message is to the investor at the moment who's sitting on a uh, significant share price decline year to date? 
I think uh, the I can uh, tell them please uh, be with us and uh, go with us through this, uh, as you correctly say, a difficult time with respect to the financial market because the underlying business, as you correctly pointed out, is very strong. Look at our organic growth rates in the in the first half of the year. Very impressive on the on the turnover side and especially on the EBITDA and EBIT side. So. In this environment where markets are slightly declining, where prices are, are up and we have a strong pricing power, you have seen that the cash generation of the business is phenomenal. We have a free cash flow that has improved uh, nearly three times to last year's period. We have returned money to the shareholders. Don't forget that we have bought back shares in the first half, nearly 6% of Innerberger, and altogether 240 million returned with the dividend to the shareholder in the first months and have less net debt than last year shows that we are highly generative in cash. And I think last but not least, it shows also that we can grow with this innovative product sort, uh, assortment and the products that we have. So I think from this perspective, we have a difficult time. I understand it. Um, hang in there with us. And I think we will see a bright future. Heimo, always good to talk. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. Heimo Schuth, the uh, CEO of Wiener Burger. Um, Elon Musk has been selling shares, well, more shares, quite a bundle over the last 10 months or so, as he prepares for a deal that he doesn't actually want to do. We'll tell you a bit more about the latest stock sale when we come back. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. Elon Musk has sold another tranche of shares in Tesla worth around $7 billion, according to SEC filings. Musk says that he sold down his stake in case his deal for Twitter is completed and, quote, some equity partners don't come through. The Tesla CEO still retains a 15% stake in the automaker after this latest sale, which brings his selling to around $32 billion worth of shares over the last 12 months. Chipmaker Micron has reported slowing chip demand and warned of a challenging environment through the end of the first quarter of next year. Chipmakers falling across the board after Micron gave the warning, which came a day after fellow chipmaker NVIDIA alerted investors to sales falling below expectations. The warning came on the same day that President Biden signed a $52.7 billion bill into law with the aim of boosting research and production for U.S. chipmakers. Well, Micron's president and CEO, Sanjay Mehrotra, uh, spoke to our colleagues stateside about the challenges the business is facing. We are seeing due to macroeconomic headwinds, as well as, you know, in certain market segments, customers not being able to secure constraint components, non-memory components, that's impacting inventory adjustments, which have broadened since we last spoke. 
uh, instead of just being inventory adjustments on the consumer side, we are seeing some inventory adjustments occurring on the data center side and also some adjustments in automotive and industrial. And this is what is impacting our outlook here. But what's important is that these inventory adjustments will take care, will manage through the system, bringing down inventories at the customers and bringing down inventories at the suppliers. And sometime in the next year, in, uh, demand and supply will get in balance. The chip story, an important one for the broader market. Don't forget technology stocks already under pressure and this normalization we're now seeing from the semiconductors also having uh, some bearing on what the tech stocks are doing. The Nasdaq down 1.2% in session, outpacing to the downside versus the S&P and the Dow. If you look at uh, big moving stocks, uh, for instance, for the S&P, it was actually Tesla's. We talk about the sale of that uh, stock from Elon Musk to free up cash. But when it comes to the Nasdaq, it was Nvidia. Again, that warning from the chip maker about the demand story and gaming impacted that stock. But I think more broadly, we transitioned uh, across the trading from a modest uh, trade to one that was slightly deeper in the red in session yesterday, all ahead of the CPI numbers today. And investors very much wanting a read in on just what that inflation print is and what it could mean for the pace of Fed rate hikes from here. In terms of those chip makers, as we uh, delve into Micron that had that revenue warning, you can see the stock down 3.7%. NVIDIA also sliding in a similar vein, almost 4% south. But uh, across the board, as you look at those big chip makers, you can see modest declines adding to the pressure we've witnessed this year. The PHLX Semiconductor Index down almost 5% in that Tuesday session, but down a fairly mighty 27% so far this year, which means that it has underperformed performed the Nasdaq, which is down roughly 21%. So deeper falls in this segment of the market. Speaking of inflation and what we are seeing, it is all about uh, that uh, CPI number today for the bond markets. We're still elevated at the short end, three and a quarter plus percent where we're trading on that yield versus 2.79 on the longer 10-year. The concerns in this market about recession still at this point, and you can see the spread uh, fairly wide between those two ends of the market. In terms of the oil markets, uh, let's take a quick look. Uh, we were a little bit choppy across the course of trade yesterday. Still, we are seeing a slight retreat and back below the 90 handle on WTI, 95.86 on Brent this morning. So both trades drifting south at this stage. And Asia, which is uh, trading in session today in the red, you can see Hong Kong in particular trading off more than 440 points or 2.2%. So modestly weaker for some of these markets from Australia to China that's weathering that inflation print that uh, was weaker at the factory gate. Welcome news as we see it's like cooling off on the back of commodity prices. The Japanese stock market down 7 tenths today. So patches of uh, modest selling, slightly deeper selling in other quarters of the market. But uh, Jeff, I think uh, this is a wait and see approach for a lot of investors at this stage. As we gauge that inflation number stateside, we've had all the evidence that commodity prices have been cooling. We've seen it today flashing up the Chinese figures, but I think that investors want to see it stateside too. Yeah, absolutely. But the, the inflation print is still very high, isn't it? So the last print was over 9%. What we're looking at now will still be over 8% uh, based on the forecasts, but we know the... F Let's just put to one side the fact that the forecasts have been a little dodgy. Basically, we're still looking at 8% plus. Um, that is still very high by historical standards, as we know, 
multi-decade highs. And yet, coming back to the point that I was making about um, where we are on Treasury yields, we've, we've fallen very dramatically. 3.4% was the high for the 10-year Treasury. We're now, what, 2.7%, uh, 2.8% here. Um, why? Given that we still have that very high inflation print, the only thing you can assume here is that the market is already discounting the expectation of a bad recession to come. And um, there's something called um, term premia, which is the amount that investors demand in, t in terms of interest rate return um, over the longer term for, for owning these treasuries. Mm. And the fact that we're inverted um, already suggests that, the, 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 that there is this p perverse idea that investors actually are uh, willing to own longer-term treasuries at lower yields than at the short end, which means they're prepared to, given all the risks, accept less return for lending their money over 10 years than they are for two or three or five, which again is kind of odd, given that the outlook is so uncertain from here on in, and we actually have no guarantees that inflation is going to come down very sharply. We still don't have any guarantees as to where the so-called Fed neutral rate or terminal rate is. Mm. So we've got this very strange situation where the market is already discounting the Fed having achieved its job, right. driven inflation out of the system, and therefore yields at, at 10 years out are still worth owning. I think there are a few other things going on and if you think about the risk appetite that's come back into uh, broader risk assets you have seen a switch in recent weeks with the equity market picking up off the lows but that's also taken that yield south I think. Uh, one of the other points uh, of note here is the geopolitics. You've still got a lot of concerns around saber rattling from China when it comes to Taiwan and I think that's been a feature in recent weeks that's put a little bit of appetite back into that US 10-year Treasury bond so it's brought the yield a little bit lower the short end. I think you've still got that repositioning. I mean when have we seen jumbo sized rate hikes like this from the Fed in recent years. So it has to be reflected somewhere in the markets and it certainly is at that short end of the market. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news you can head to cnbc.com Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.